Hi, I'm Neil Bergman. And I'm Hayley Bergman. Over the last 10 years, we've helped thousands of fitness professionals to get qualified, learn with simplicity, and coach clients with confidence. We're the first to say that learning and being a fit pro doesn't have to be hard work and that with the right structure, support and resources, you can become a confident and knowledgeable fitness professional that is dedicated to more. So how do you learn, qualify and kickstart as a fit pro? This is the Fit Pro Sessions podcast with Parallel Coaching. A fit pro guide to neuro-linguistic programming, otherwise known as NLP. Otherwise known as season eight, episode eight of eight, of maybe eight. ten. Maybe ten. So we will <laughs> extend this se- uh, season, uh, season eight, for fit pro sessions by a couple more episodes because there's so much more we want to say and get in and talk about. And the feedback from you guys has been phenomenal. So- and that everyone's really enjoyed learning about behaviour change in depth as well mm-hmm. and like the detail on each of the episodes we go into. And today's no exception in terms of learning about NLP. NLP which I think is is a real nice logical progression from oh, the first seven episodes. So the context of behaviour change, the transfer ethical model, we've discussed the self-efficacy theory, decisional balance, Communication skills, motivators of change. Completely. And last week's was cognitive behavioural therapy. And I think everything so really far nice. in the first seven episodes, which is, you know, near on seven hours of behaviour yeah. change now, um, leads nicely to today's, which is neuro-linguistic programming. Yes. So we've kind of known further ado what what is nlp Haley? well first of all before we even go any further i want to explain that to this is our perception that's a great point yes of what nlp is and this is probably like my perception of it and a quote that i really like is that nlp is not about truth or false or it's not about knowing what's true and what's false it's about a specific outcome being achieved so the client's outcome that they can achieve and then what i like about that in terms of bringing that into the definition of what nlp is is that i'm not going to give you a specific like clear like this is the truth and that's all it is because yes. this is our view and our which, opinion of what it is which is nlp in a nutshell yeah. isn't it completely yes, so exactly it's our map of the world in that so before we go into the definitions of, of nlp this isn't a definitive outcome of tr- what, what, <laughs> what nlp is known to be true as yeah. it's our perception of what nlp is and that is the definition of NLP. Exactly. I know that sounds a bit of like a Jack Sparrow <laughs> tongue-twisted comment, but Haley just mentioned something called this map of the world, or the, and we're going to talk about this uh, very shortly. But imagine you've got a map. Imagine you've got a, a, an OS map of your local area mm-hmm. and just pinpoint where you are on that map. Yeah. Okay, so you put a dot in and say, right, I'm here. And as you look around your road or your street or your immediate surroundings, there's only so far the eye can see. Yeah. And so it's our perception of what we can see right now and our interpretation of what we can see on that part of the map. Yes. Now, we know that the map is bigger. We know that there's more territory. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, nice. But we don't know. We can't see it. We can't taste it. We, can't, we don't have any senses around that. Nice. And so NLP is our exploration to um, the, the wider map, yeah, if that I makes that. sense. But That's it's really only nice. our perception of what is on that map. So I could look at my immediate surroundings and interpret it in one way. And you could be standing in the very same spot and interpret it in a totally different way. Yes, so nice. it's that it's at this episode is our approach to standing in a very particular part of the <laughs> yeah. NLP map. Yeah. Okay. And if you've done NLP before, you might go, well, actually, that was, 
not how I interpreted it. Mm. Okay, that doesn't mean it's not true. Ooh, <laughs> it, this is where it gets really, really interesting, and yes. I love that. So let's explore like the actual definitions associated to NLP, so that you could get some context. So you've to draw got upon three it. words. Yes. First word, Haley. Neuro. Neuro is basically relating to our nervous processes, so how we filter sensory information. You know, our five senses: our our sight, our smell, our touch. And our, our taste, hearing and, and our, our taste. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I was like, like uh... desperately looking down the notes going, what are our five senses? Neil, please help me. <laughs> I should know that. It's like primary school cool. level, isn't it? Yeah, so you've got neuro. <laughs> then you've got linguistic. Yeah, which is all about language and how we communicate with others or communicate the senses that we've just interpreted. So that could be how we draw it, how we talk about yeah. it, how we express our feelings, how we behave, how we do self-talk. So that could even be in, in music. That could be in art that yes. could not just verbal like this yeah okay. exactly so when we and look then the at... final bit is programming which is about how we communicate with ourselves and with others using that information so um yeah so i think a nice example of that like an example i really like is if we take all five senses let's just say i've got a bunch of flowers like right in front of this me this goes back to the map of the world and our perception which is our programming mm. okay so yes. what we're really yeah. talking about here i suppose is our um, deep-rooted beliefs and our values and what we prioritize and how we interpret information and what we believe to be true but not, might not be true yeah and then we have a thought which leads on like really nicely from last week of CBT we have a thought which yeah, leads to an nice. emotion which leads to a behavior which leads to a response yes there we go. Of course. So if I have a bunch of flowers and I can smell those flowers, I can see those flowers, I've kind of got the wind whispering past my skin, whatever it might be, and I'm holding those flowers, I might have the thought of like, what a lovely day. Now I could pick up the same bunch of flowers, have all of the same senses. I could smell the flowers, the wind whistling past my skin. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I could go, isn't it a shame that somebody picked these flowers? The flowers are dying. Nice. So the thought, so there's a situation, <laughs> turns into a thought, yeah. turns into the emotion that yes. goes with it and the expression. So it's very similar to what we had as the process of cognitive behavioural therapy yeah. last season, uh, last episode where we were saying yes. that it's the situation, the thought, Completely. the emotion, the behaviours. Now you've got, so you've got, you've got neuro, you've got linguist and you've got programming. Yes. Now let's just go back to the roots of where this kind of originated from. So we're going right back to the early 70s with two kind of key influential characters um, known as Richard Bandler and John Grindler John Grindler okay. yeah and they were in the 1970s and they basically looked for a technique that would identify language patterns to identify complex cognitive processes now here, here was the beauty of it is because one of them was a linguist so we're talking about language and one was a mathematician and scientist so when you put those two worlds together <laughs> and you collide these two worlds together you've got one that's talking Kind of let's just take the, the language side of things, the interpretation of language, kind of the you could have the, the chunking down or chunking up. And we've talked about this in a previous fit pro session inside behavior change of like the very specifics. And I think we had the it was all about mo motivators, it was episode yeah, motivators six, of change. Where we said, right, so we have a, a car on the level playing field and we could chunk that down and say, Well, the car has four wheels, the car has a steering wheel. Mm. Or we could chunk up language and say that the car gives us freedom. The so car, meta and Milton, wasn't yeah, it? completely. Yeah. And so you've got one person exploring language. Yeah. Okay. And then you've got another person that's very much looking at the data, very much looking at patterns, very much looking at 
the facts mm. and saying, right, if we see this pattern of, of language and this pattern of behaviour and we put those together, can we predict what's going to happen? And can we identify the cognitive processes that come before it as a trend? Yes, completely. Which because is really interesting. We, we aren't our thoughts, but this notion is if we can think about the outcome we want or to identify with the outcome we want mm. then that will lead to a particular set of thoughts and therefore our thoughts as we know from last week create a set of emotions create a behavior create a response yeah. so if we want to create a very particular response in whatever we're doing then we've got to I suppose reverse engineer that back to the thought process and identify with the thought of who we want to become. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's a bit of a deep one, isn't I it? Like it. But what I like about that is that you said it's about identifying with a thought of who you want to become. And one of the key things about NLP is that it's outcome focused. It's yes. all about the end result. So you're always thinking about who you want to become. You're not digging into the past. Yeah. It's not even necessarily about what's happened now. It's about basically unpicking what your language is and focusing on the future of what it is you want to achieve. Yeah which I find really interesting. And there's a, a set model for NLP. Um, do you want me to go through that now? I think it's a good place. how it gives yeah. context. I just like this concept together. of like, that, you know, Tony Robbins, I think Tony Robbins is obviously like mm -hmm. a, a big, uh, certainly through the 80s, 90s, and for this, you know, the like first, first 20 years of this century, has been a, a key factor around kind of NLP and that, that style of coaching, with yeah. that strategy of, of, of coaching. And one of the things he's, he talks about a lot is success leaves clues. And really, if we break what what we just said down is it's about like, who's achieved what I want to do? Okay. <laughs> and can I break down their language, yeah. their thought processes that led to a very particular outcome and behavior? And can I model myself on that? I like that. Because that's good. Well, that's shortcuts. That's the success leaves the clues yeah, to know what Yeah, and when you break down NLP, we're going to talk a lot about modeling today. Mm. There yeah, of course. And that's that's really what we're saying is we aren't our thoughts. We've said that before. OK, but if we can program our thoughts that lead to a very particular destination on the map, nice. then we can predict what we're going to do Ooh, or get. Good. OK, cool. nice. So this leads into. So, yeah, this um, this understanding of NLP. I like the idea of it being this kind of. Um, column-based colosseum as such. So if you think about on the foundations, it all starts with having curiosity. And that becomes the first, like the platform, the foundations. So if we can start by being curious about our cognitive processes, about our language, about how we behave, that becomes an understanding and curious about our clients and yes. how they um, talk, think, and behave that basically sets us up for the foundations of NLP so it all starts with curiosity and then imagine there's four pillars and these four pillars basically lead up to a roof on top so the four pillars so like, like I think if you said the word Colosseum already yes yeah, yeah, so like Colosseum. a classic kind of Greek Colosseum yeah cool. nice so you've got rapport as the first pillar so you need to have rapport with your client in order to open everything out which was discussed in episode one of season eight which was discussed in the transfer <laughs> model which was discussed communication communication which was discussed heavily inside self-efficacy theory with banjuru which was discussed inside yeah. uh, cognitive behavior therapy with rapport being the leading factor yeah and if you don't have rapport with your client then you're not going to be able to facilitate that change and help them yeah. elicit change um, the next part is sensory acuity, so that you as the 
the fit bro as the coach can be really aware of all of your senses but no asking your client to also be really aware of their senses and it becomes a really key pillar so that you can be aware of like what how your clients reacting or responding to a certain thing you might be talking about but you're also asking them to dive deep and be aware of what they're sensing completely and and obviously that i think from from my experience as a fit pro the the main uh, sensory acuity has been the verbal side of things mm. but now we could be looking at the disconnect of saying right they i said a certain <laughs> word or i said it in a certain way they said it in a certain way or whatever and what response did that give to a non-verbal mm -hmm. but also being acutely aware of my sensory acuity because they might say something or say it in a certain way or move in a certain way which could also um, have an impact on my um, language yeah and this reminds me of like when I was learning NLP I remember understanding like things like things to look out for like eye movements like if they look left it might suggest more of this <laughs> one if they look more right it might suggest more of this one do they have a very solid eye contact in the middle and also that understanding of mirroring as well and I remember both of those this, relates to that what acuity. we've got to remember is this is a it's a free podcast yeah. okay <laughs> at the end of the day it's only 50 to 50 minutes to an hour 10 about okay um it's not the definitive like everything about nlp and Haley's. we've already mentioned lots of things such as like eye eye contact where do the eyes move um sensory acuity non-verbal body language there's lots of things that make up nlp and i just want to kind of stress again today we aren't covering an entire nlp master practitioner course in <laughs> like 50 yeah. minutes what's really nice is that if you come across these terms and you want to know more then it's a great kind of taster board for all these different that's what we said um, last week wasn't it like terms. each one of these episodes is kind of like the world buffet of of well, actually i could <laughs> world really the world buffet of behavior change I, I really would like to do more in nlp i'd really like to do more in self-efficacy and it leads you maybe just hopefully it's that ignition that start to you to go down the rabbit hole i like that third pillar yes, as we move, <laughs> is, yes. <laughs> is outcome orientation which we said already how important it is to be goal focused about what it is that they want or that your client is looking for so it all comes to the goals and then that was episode six where we looked at goal well yeah because are they <laughs> are they moving towards pleasure or away from pain yeah and if we look at success leaves clues and we look at the people you we might want to model I'm gonna say it's gonna be very biased to somebody that is uh, towards a pleasure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And not away from pain. Perfect. Maybe, I don't know, um, that's just we've my done map. Because we've, <laughs> we've done motivators and we've done SMART goals, I think that stacks up really nice. When we say outcome focused, you probably understand exactly yeah, what Yeah, what mean. do they want, when do they want it by, and what? why do they want it? That's there the key, is that go. the why? Yeah, exactly. And so then the, the fourth pillar is about behavioural flexibility. Understanding oh, this is quite mm, a phrasing. This is, isn't this it? is, the, this um, is the, the, understanding that with that curiosity that was at the foundation to understand that your client might behave in a certain way that reflects their values, their map of the world, and understand and that's okay. And that's okay. And to approach that without any judgment, which is in line with the rapport pillar. So they all kind of map together. Now all these pillars that you have then stack up to a roof on top of this pillar. So again, imagine this Colosseum and the, the, the roof of it is the 14 presuppositions, which Perfect. we are going to go into. We are going to explore the 14 presuppositions. And again, it's, it's just like one part of the map mm, or just one, one part, part. Of, the, of the territory to explore. And I think it's a really nice place as an introduction to NLPs to explore these 14 presuppositions. Yeah. I really like that last fourth pillar, which was behavioral, behavioral flexibility. flexibility. Because 
we have to be, as fit pros, flexible in our approach. Hmm. And it goes back to episode one, which is about the yellow brick road, where yeah. I said, I've got lots of yellow bricks. They all lead yeah, to your destination. Yeah, I've got Now, I'm going to ask you a question, and depending on your answer, um, I'm going to give you a yellow brick. Now, I've got lots of yellow bricks I could give you. Let's just go down the, the exercise route. I could give you a frequency brick, an intensity yeah. brick, a type brick, or a time brick. Now, depending on the answer you give will determine what brick I give you, but just know that it's going to be yellow and we're only going to head towards Rome, <laughs> towards nice. the Colosseum. Yay! <laughs> you see what, yeah. And yeah. I've got to be flexible and rather than having, okay, I'm only, I've only, I've only got intensity bricks. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, and so as a fit pro, we must be able to be the more flexible we are. I think that allows us to have more sensory acuity, and the more flexible and sensory acuity. Remember that was Colosseum um, number two and the pillar number four, rather. Yes. Yeah. Okay, that allows me to build more rapport. Which and is now I've one. got number one. The number three was the outcome. The outcome. Now I'm only focused on giving you yellow bricks to of, towards Rome, towards this Colosseum. Now the more I can stack up those four pillars, I keep getting <laughs> yeah. my words bricks and up. pillars, Brick, bricks and pillars, <laughs> blah blah blah. Um, I can now have more curiosity, and the curiosity is your three, five, seven, ten questions deep. Yeah. Okay, I love how all this is coming together. Completely. Would I'm you... glad we left NLP to be after we've stacked all these principles Perfect. underneath. And notice yes. that if we want more curiosity, going back to another analogy we had in, I think, episode two, was we said that if we were to build a house or build a coliseum, we would want very strong foundations. Now, mm. the stronger the foundation, the taller the pillars can be. Yes. So if I want to go deeper on curiosity, okay, I've got to be able to ask world-class questions with these 14 presuppositions in mind, okay, which means I get solid curiosity, which means I get solid rapport, solid pillar number two, solid pillar number three, solid pillar number four, and the more solid of that is the roof is solid as well. I think that's okay? amazing. What I like about this from a fit pro point of view is just the single question you could ask yourself now of like, how could I become, or where in my practice, would I be more f curious? So yeah. how could, like, there's so much that we're going to give you that you might get, like, overwhelmed with content, basically, of these 14 presuppositions. Or what do I thing. change first? <laughs> yeah, exactly, that's a good thing. But what do I change first, or what do I look at first? So I would say the first thing is that foundation. Where could I be more curious? What questions could I ask to my clients to be more curious. And if we just take a conventional, let's just say a PT, uh, running a boot camp outside, and they, they basically, all they see their clients is for the actual exercise sessions. They don't necessarily have any much chat in between or any accountability. Immediately, as soon as you say, where do I become more uh, curious? You might put a consultation in beforehand. You might do a question and answer session. Yeah. You might do, like, the the accountability starts to expand, doesn't it? Yeah, completely. I love Cause, that. Because the question would be, if you're only seeing for, let's say, uh, three boot camp sessions a week, you could say, well, I'm curious. What do you all have for breakfast? Mm. I'm curious. What do you all do for lunches? I'm curious. What do you do on a Friday night? And suddenly you're building rapport. You've got higher sensory acuity. You, you are working on the outcome. <laughs> And you're being flexible in your approach, which leads to these 14 presuppositions. So presupposition number one, I'm going to read. Um, in fact, I'm going to ask Hayley to read because um, I'm, I'm not good at reading um, out loud, if that makes sense. Number one is R-E-S-P-E-C-T, 
<laughs> I didn't expect that, which is respect the other person's model of the world. Yeah, like, let's just funk that up. We'll have let's a little funk song. It up completely. If, if you're singing now, I want to know. Yeah, completely. So, num presupposition number one is respect the other person's map of the world. Yeah, and this is that understand that's in line with the report. It's in line with what we said about behavioral flexibility and the fact that you're basically understanding what Neil said about they the map. It, the, the territory that you're in might be the same, but I might look at it in a different way to what well, we you all have at different it. beliefs. We all have different values. We all have different. We've all had different upbringings. We've all been exper mm. We've experienced different teachers at school, different role models in our world. We've all experienced a different approach to the world as we know it. Yeah. So something I was reading earlier is like there is no reality. It's only someone's. Uh, there's no objective reality it's only someone's subjective opinion of what they perceive Ooh, reality to nice. be nice okay <laughs> but, deep. but but your your beliefs your values um are going to be different to mine so it's respecting that actually everybody is where they are right now and that's okay mm. and yes they might have uh been a bit bit of a pickle not literally, okay. But with <laughs> regards job. to their health, they might be in a bit of a pickle with regards to their weight. They might be, they might just be stuck with a particular problem. They might not be able to get past a particular PB in their running. But they have a set of beliefs that have gotten to where they are right now, okay. And it's through these understanding these presuppositions and that first one of respect, which which builds even more rapport. Mm. And I can't build rapport without sensory acuity. Knowing that actually we're heading towards a particular goal. So my line of questioning and line of curiosity is always going to be heading towards the goal, but respecting where they are right now and not judging them, not discrediting them, not... Um, I'm only I'm I'm only looking to better them. Yeah, nice. Okay. You know what this bit reminds me of is if I asked you to draw a picture of your street that you live on now. Yes. Your street is the same. That's not any different. That's the same situation, right? But you might draw it one way. Your five-year-old daughter might draw draw it an entirely different way. Yeah, completely. And neither are right or wrong. They are all just somebody's map of their world. It's completely. somebody's it's, model of their world. And and how they how they present that information is that's where sensory acuity comes in of of, of the five senses mm. is is our interpretation and it goes back to what we talked about in the transferetical model no no in one of them about communication yeah where if we don't fully understand something I can paraphrase it back and I can summarize back to gain confirmation that they that's what they meant yes because I could say to everybody in your road where you live right now and say tell me what you love about living here mm. now the person next door to you might say I love sitting in my conservatory the person next door to them might say the neighbors are amazing the yeah. person next door to them go well I'm thinking about moving I don't particularly like the neighbors <laughs> yeah yeah and so same street it, same street different perceptions. different perceptions so it's respecting their thoughts, feelings, beliefs and values of where they are right now and what what's led them to this far down their own yellow brick road. Yeah, nice. Okay. Cool. Second one is that... So presupposition number two. Number two. Uh, we need like a little trailer in there. Nah, I can't go. I'm going to have like to edit that one. Like the top of the pops <laughs> No, <style>. you know. <laughs> <laughs> you don't do all the editing. That's a, that's a, 
I'm not saying not saying that from a laziness, but that's a mission. There's 14 of them. <laughs> yes. um, so behavior and change are. I'll to tell you be... why I'm not going to do that. <laughs> it's because when you go and find all the sound clips, most sound clips only ever go up to ten. Oh, and really? we got 14 of them. That was my initial. It would be four. ten plus one. Yeah, it would be. Wouldn't it? Yeah, completely. <laughs> okay, so this is about um, context, ecology, and environment, and this is um, presupposition number two: is that change is only true and sustainable if all the environmental conditions support it. This is. This is incredible. Yeah. This is so important. <laughs> so behaviour and change are to be evaluated in terms of context and ecology. So we're talking about the environment here. So if I want or my client wants to, more importantly, if my client wants to lose weight, mm. then the environment must identify must support and support that. And the moment it doesn't, okay, we are breaking the Colosseum pillars. Yeah, and or this... they are breaking this. So I'm mixing up. I don't mean to add blame here because it's not about that. Yeah, this reminds me of um, the context that you are the average of the five people That's that you spend approach. the most yes. amount of time with. I like with. that. So if you take from a weight point of view, if you take your weight is the average of the five people you have the most proximity with, they're your support network, they're your environment that you are around. Um, the same for your income, the same for your values and your beliefs. You become the average of those you spend time with. So if you then want to make a change, but your environment stays exactly the same, it's going to be really hard to break away from that law of averages which is, without being sucked back to the average. Which is why I really liked, you know, for I, I've run a, a boot camp with, you know, 100 plus, 110, 120, 130 plus guys in at any one time. And although they all say start in an inactive sedentary state that all want to lose weight, mm. they're all after the same goal and they're all yeah. towards goal orientation. Yeah. And so the setup is all about, can I build rapport with a client? Let's do a consultation and be curious before we get into the boot camp. Yeah. And then everybody that gets invited into the boot camp is all goal orientated, is all, all a towards person. And they're changing their behaviours together. But then they're all in the same group. <laughs> and it's that group environment that drives the the this this presupposition it starts to outweigh the proximity doesn't it because yes. rather than the proximity that they just say have at work or at home they yes. now have like-minded people that are all making the same changes that can support the ecology of the change which is why i'm a Amazing. big fan of of even a new fit pro is to work on a signature package mm. because that one signature package that you work with just you know one type of person and Haley's used this analogy before where you have a dartboard and in the middle of a dartboard is your ideal client now you, you your ideal client might be say i don't know uh, post-pregnancy uh, let's say a year after giving birth but then the outer rings could also just be ladies yeah. Okay. But, yeah, exactly. Yet to give birth. But it doesn't mean you can't work with ladies, but your ideal client would be that middle bullseye. Mm. Yeah. Now, if you just put all of those types of people together, you've just hit presupposition number two, which <laughs> yeah. is all about sustainable, as in the environment needs to be um, consistent with the goal in mind. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Now, the moment nice. you've got uh, a guy in there, <laughs> okay. Good, different it, problems. You've got different problems. Different behaviors. There we go. So the. Next one. Next one. The next <laughs> one, <laughs> uh, third presupposition, is that resistance in a client is a sign of lack of rapport. Oh. So rapport was one of our pillars. We've talked about it countless amount of times. But you know when you get those clients that spark up an excuse or a reason or a resistance to change and they're actually kind of battling your suggestions and well, everything you say might be wrong 
That's resistance. This goes with pillar number four, which was uh, behavioral, behavioral flexibility. flexibility. So there are no resistant clients. There's only inflexible communicators. <laughs> I love that. Where did okay. you get that from? So That's there are awesome. no resistant clients because only inflexible communicators. So if we're looking at behavioral flexibility, it's not just from a client side, but it's from our side. I am So I've got really strong opinions of, 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 lot, of everything. I'm allowed those. I, literally everything we've all got a strong opinion about. Like Hayley's drinking squash now. I've got an opinion of how strong the squash could be versus Hayley. I like a little bit weaker than you. If we talk about <laughs> calories, I've got a very strong opinion of those. If we talk yeah. about anything inside our world, we've got strong opinions and beliefs. Now, if I want to work with a client and bring about behavior change, I've got to have huge flexibility Mm. Okay, to know what I know to be true, yeah, but to be flexible enough to go either side of that black and white and see all of the possible colours of a rainbow in between, yeah. not just for greys, and go, well, I'm here to listen. Because there aren't And be curious. And be curious. Because and I can't be report. curious if I'm if I'm just set in my ways. Yeah, nice. Okay? And actually your resistance creates their resistance. So if your rapport is open and curious then that will allow them to be open and curious to being flexible on their different behaviours they choose. There we go. I think that's really... Presupposition number four. We are number four. We are. Which, are, which is people are not their behaviours. I think this is really cool because if you look at the CBT model in that you turn around and you go, right, so we have a situation, then there was a thought that created emotions, behaviours and our, our physical um, changes that happen in our body. So you basically have this sort of idea that the behaviours define us as such, or they are a result of the thoughts and the feelings that we have. But here they're saying the behaviours are something we do, but they don't define us. They are not actually us. Perfect. So I've got some notes here, so I'm just going to read Good. off screen. So if I'm yeah. not looking at the camera, I apologise to all the YouTubers. Okay. <laughs> do you know what? It's amazing the amount of comments we get. Again, it's everyone's map of the world. If they don't like when we look around. When we look around. So it's just me looking at my notes. And I'll just look around the screen. Yeah, there we go. So uh, number four, presupposition. The behaviour a person is acting out is not the person itself, but the person's response to something in their world. Mm. What NLP seeks to, to do, so neuro-linguistic programming seeks to do, is to be able to enable the person to have more choice in terms of their behaviour and their response, which comes back to behavioural flexibility. I also like the phrase there, accept the person and change the behaviour. Completely. So they are not the same person. It's not that when somebody changes a behaviour, they're changing themselves. Yes. Their whole identity doesn't change. They're still them. They just change the behaviours they do. Which is a big key thing, isn't it? Because I've had many clients that have had, you know, incredible uh, results. And most of my career has been around weight loss, mainly within guys. Mm. And yet they've got to a certain point where they perhaps haven't achieved their, their, their ultimate goal but then they've been sabotaged by a family member because they've come back and said that you're that you're they're changing yeah that they're somebody new that they're somebody different. you're not who you used to be you're not who you, you used never to would be. have done that and this is where that conversation comes in because it's accept the person change the behavior mm. they're still the same person yes yeah right? they're Stay still the same, same person. person they've just changed their behaviors Perfect. And it's a perception. It's a it's a it's, it's what we talked about last week about sitting on the on the sofa, isn't it? Mm. If I look at one side of a sofa, how I'm sitting, I see one viewpoint. I'm a senses for interpret that information. But if I step to the side, I see a totally different angle from a sagittal plane. 
It's really so interesting, isn't it? I love that. Yeah, love that. So uh, people are not their behaviours. So number five of 14 is everyone is doing the best they can with the resources they have available. What I love about this is it's basically saying you might not see the behaviours or the language that somebody uses as good or, or, or the best they could do or with the best intent, but just know they've done it with the best intent possible. Nobody actively goes out to do I, something with a poor intent. Yeah, I genuinely believe everybody has a good intention for every every, every thought, feeling, emotion, behaviour they do. Mm. They have. There's always a good intention behind it. Yeah, whether that's for their own uh, benefit or yeah. for others. It yes. doesn't matter. Completely. There is a good intention. There is a good intention. Hence why they acted that out. Mm. Completely. So we can only do what we can do, right? The client can only do what they can do with the resources they have. Oh. So we don't, again, it's a bit of a, lots of like Jack Sparrow moment comments for you, isn't it? <laughs> Loads of them. Loads of them. It's like, we don't know what we don't know. Mm. So if your client is is stuck, they don't know what they don't know. They haven't they haven't got the resources to ask a, no, a, a better, well-class, curious question. Yeah. That's where you come in to ask a curious question for them to go, I didn't know what that. Now I know what I know. Um, I can either be naive to that information and stick my head in the stand. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Or I can now act upon that information and make a change. Make a change. Yeah. It, it reminds me a little bit of the trans theoretical model where you've got that pre contemplation and then into contemplation, where in pre contemplation they have no idea. Mm. They'd have no idea that they're even that change would even be good for them. Whereas once they hit contemplation they've then gone, ah, it's quite yeah. strange, actually, isn't it? Like, it just got me thinking that on the first day of a, of, of a gym course, and actually this weekend we got a gy our first gym course, kind of, so for excited. those of you that are listening, many years in the future, we had this thing called coronavirus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and and um, the world got locked down and shut down and we weren't allowed out. But now we're allowed out, we're going back in the classroom. <laughs> and on the first day of a gym course, one of the things we always talk about is like, what makes an outstanding fit pro? Yeah. Okay, so we'll have people in the classroom that have done their yoga, done their Pilates as well, and they've done other elements of fitness, but this is a gym course. And we say like, what makes an outstanding fit pro? And the first thing that comes to mind is like, is someone's soft skills of like, you know, building rapport, being non-judgmental, and developing yeah. those. What I've yeah, they're always the things that people say, aren't they? Like, um, you'd want to be supportive, you want to have open body language, yeah. you want to be welcoming, you want to be But my question is, encouraging. is are fit pros actually doing that? Oh. It sounds quite a harsh comment. <laughs> so we all see them as the values associated with We see them as the values, but are we acting upon our values mm. and doing what we said we were going to do, which actually is the first two or three of yeah. these presuppositions. So even at the beginning, when we didn't have many resources, at the very beginning of our level two gym journey, yeah. before we knew as much as we know now as fit yes. pros, you turn around and go, this is what I perceive would be a really good fit pro. And even at that point, are you now using that information now Completely. to do the best you can? Because it's easy to say that we are and that I'm going to be welcoming, I'm going to be non-judgmental. But actually, when I sit down and do a consultation, am I presenting this these soft skills and actualising them? Yeah. Am I behaving like them? Am I thinking about them? Active? Because remember, we said we're not our thoughts, but if we if we modelled behaviour and we said, actually, that was a, that was a well-executed this person executed a, a consultation very well and we went back and we reverse engineered to what their thought processes were. Am I doing those, those similar thought processes to get to the well-executed um, outcome? Outcome. Yeah. Does that make sense? I love that. I think that's fantastic. Because the client 
only know what we, the client doesn't know what they don't know. Oh, we do. So the client could sit there and go, I, you know, I'm I'm in a pickle with my food, and they talk about you know what they have on an average day, and they say, well, they have a, they have a, a meal deal for lunch. They have a, a BLT, bacon, lettuce, tomato, can of uh, diet zero coke, and a bag of crisps every day. Now I could look at that and go, that's horrendous. That's really unhealthy. That's poor processed food choice. Yeah. Well, actually, if I go back to this, I could ask a very curious question, build even greater rapport, mm. have sensory acuity, oh, a like goal it. in mind, and it'd be flexible on the behaviour for the client and for me. Yeah. But, well, and but, that flexibility behaviour might mean that it's but, not bad to have that meal but, deal. Yeah, completely. But the client doesn't know what they don't know. Mm. They're only doing what they know to be true with yeah. the resources they have available to themselves. I think that sums up lovely. Cool. I like that. So, which leads really nicely onto uh, presupposition number six of 14, which is calibrate on behaviour. And that makes sense because everything we're talking about is about behaviour change. But it's basically hinged on the fact that the only thing we can see and tangibly measure nice. is someone's behavior and their, their language that they speak which is part of behaviors we can't you mean, see you, their thoughts you mean we can't we're not mind readers we're not mind readers we can't get inside somebody else's head and go that's a great thought <laughs> so your client might turn around and go this is what i really want um, and they're saying like this is what I really want, and they're thinking this is what I really want, but their behaviours show something else. Which is what I was just saying about the fit pro. We say that we're going to be non-judgmental, but are we being non-judgmental? Yeah. And then it literally unfolds that the the behaviours don't match up with the 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 thing that they're saying they want. And at that point, you calibrate on the behaviour you see, not on the things that they're talking that they want. Oh. Calibrate on behaviours. I think... That's like, a quick sum of that it's, one. It's, it's, I think you've just hit the nail on the head. Yeah. That was like, you know when you put a nail on the wall and you hit it and you, sometimes you have to hit it like three or four times to get it. I in. always miss. But you just went... I'm not allowed. Bam, and just put a nail in, like first <laughs> hit completely. But anything to do with hammers, like not a good That's thing. That's true. I just don't touch them. But just to recap on that, like just that last bit I think was key... Just re recap it. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Try if you can. Um, that we, might, we can't see someone's thought processes, but we can see their behaviours. Therefore, so we... we must calibrate, i.e. sync up based on the behaviours they're presenting, the things they're actually doing or have because done. Because the, the behaviours provide a subject, sorry, an objective yes. view of the world. Yeah. Whereas everything else is subjective and not true, not real. We can't see it, we mm. can't taste the thought, we can't smell the thought, we can't touch the thought, but we can see the outcome of the actual behaviour. So we calibrate on the behaviour. When the behaviour's changed, when they've the, achieved behavioural change. Completely, which would suggest that if someone has changed their behaviour of what we actually see, then mm. their thought processes behind it must have also have changed. Yeah. And what um, James Clear says in Atomic Habits is that the first time you try something is like the catalyst towards the new habit mm. and behaviour. The second time you actually you do it, the, the next day or soon after, it starts to become a habit. So the first time you mess up would be a fail, which was your first attempt in learning. <laughs> Everything after that is you're actually breaking the habit or you're actually starting a new habit. Yeah. Completely. Whereas if you give up, then it doesn't work. So the point yeah. here is you are going to calibrate on the behaviour of a person 
And earlier on, we said, just go back to my notes, we said about accepting the person, not the behaviour, wasn't it? Was that the right um, way around? So people Except are not the person, behaviors. change the behaviour. Completely, yeah. people, yes, they link. Yeah. Which the next leads, one links as well. <laughs> well, notice they all link. But presupposition number seven, so we're halfway through, is the map is not the territory. And we've already talked about the map already. Yeah. Um, so I, the words we use are not the event or the item they represent. So when we use words, it's not actually a reflection of the behaviour or the thing that has actually happened. It's not the fact part of it. The words are the drawing, the... You know when we broke down, we said what linguistic is. So you've got neuro, then you've got linguistic. That's the, the pictures, the words, the things that you use to describe what's going on. So it's not the actual fact or event of me holding those flowers and sensing them. It's my description of them becomes the linguistic. So the words are not the event. Um, and that's what's really interesting with the map is not the territory. I said earlier, if you were to draw a map of your street, yes. you would draw something to the five-year-old and then you go on Google Earth and it looks different again. The maps are totally different, but the territory is the same. So people respond <laughs> to their experiences, not the reality itself. Yeah. And so when you're sitting inside a consultation and your client is talking to you, which would be the linguistic, which would be the, 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 their, their interpretation, their description, their perception, their beliefs, their values, their priorities, how they're, how they're communicating what they believed to be true. Mm. But that doesn't necessarily... Because if you were there with them on that day, okay, let's just take the, the person that's struggling to buy uh, healthy food inside at Tesco's or Sainsbury's or any other fast food uh, memory <laughs> shop, whatever, yeah. Um, other stores are other available. Stores are available. Um, you could have seen the map of the world totally different. Your mm. interpretation of the world, standing right next to them, could be like, well, there's a healthy option, there's a healthy option, there's a healthy option. That's not expensive, that's not expensive, and that's not expensive. But they saw it as their response to the experience was not the reality that you perhaps perceived, and you won't, they would have gone, well, that's expensive, that's, that's, not, that's unhealthy, that's expensive, that's not, that's, I'm not sure, I'm, I'm confused. Yeah. Remember, we only know what we know. Yeah, I like that. So the map it, is not the territory. territory. Just because that's what we define it as or we express it as doesn't mean that that is the truth. And so we're, we're, we're reacting to this in terms of all through our five senses. So we have our touch, our taste, our smell, our sight and our... What else do you miss out? Yeah. Audio. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. I think that's all of them. And so that helps define what we believe to be true and our filter system. So we're filtering all this information all the time based on what we know to be true from previous experiences. Mm. And so think about it just like this, like everything we've experienced to date in our world for, for me, the last, you know, 37 years. Okay. I can only pluck out key or, or some memories and those memories again are my interpretation of my map of the world yeah and that was not necessarily the reality to be true it was my subjective <laughs> opinion of an objective reality yeah <laughs> does that make sense <laughs> and so i'm only i i'm now i'm now looking at something in, in tesco's or sainsbury's and i'm i'm coming to a conclusion that that could be expensive or inexpensive or healthy or unhealthy or not ideal or how would I cook that based on a vast amount of memories that are formulated by yeah. by what I believe to be true then or what I believe to be true now. Okay, it's a bit of a tongue twist all this, isn't it? This is all your map, right? It's all my map. And now I'm left with a buying decision based on potential 40 memories, 40 beliefs, beliefs that were true, beliefs that have changed. 
And now I'm here going, well, I don't know what to do. Remember, I don't know what I don't know. And then you've got that map of the world and you're trying to navigate the territory feel, navigating that the... you're in in that supermarket. And as a result, you'll make decisions that are different to someone else. Completely. So and if this... we take the physical map yes. difference and say, right, that's of your street. If I, you're the five-year-old's drawing of a street, they're going to navigate that Perfect. in a different way to what you'd do if you were following Google Earth, especially when there's then a, uh, a development in the fact that, let's say there's a car parked across the, across the entire road. The five-year-old will be like, why is that in my way? That, yeah. That's not on my map. They're going to navigate around those obstacles and those barriers in a different way. Whereas Google Earth is just going to send you on a different route altogether. Yeah, it's already updated. Yeah. Completely, but it's this filtering of all this information of what and 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 our short-term memory is only going to go back a certain way so our long-term memory is going to be so fragmented mm. of beliefs and values and things that i once thought were true or still are true and i'm filtering all this with just my five senses and i'm trying to come to a conclusion a decision of what do i do now <laughs> yeah. <laughs> completely yeah to navigate and it's our job as fit pros to help them navigate through curious world-class questions this complex map of a world in a very non-judgmental way very client-centered way and build more rapport be very acutely aware of their language acutely aware of how they move and what they do and what they say how they say it to then guide them down this yellow brick road towards the coliseum and be very flexible on yours and theirs approach well i find really interesting about that one i'm not to stay on this one for too long but it reminds me so much of the ones we had previous where it was like the person is not their behaviors yeah because it is literally saying like okay they're behaving in a way based on their map of the world they're the, it's all done with good intent. It, yes. They are not their behaviours. And they all kind of stack up to all the other parts that we've already seen. And I, I like it. It brings it together for me. Presupposition number eight is you are in charge of your mind and therefore your results. I like that. Uh, I like this, this idea feels, of a gatekeeper to my mind. This feels very empowering as a mm. statement as well, doesn't it? So um, you could also turn it around and I put it down as I am in charge of my mind and I am therefore in charge of my results. So oh. a very positive affirmation. It's a real internal locus of control on yes. this as well and then there's a difference between an internal locus of control where you're in control of your own actions and your own destiny and your own outcome whereas an external locus of control is where it's all down to someone else it's somebody else's or something else's reason and fate has you on a certain path so every action you take there first must be a thought mm. okay so think about the actions you've taken this morning what you had for breakfast you you would have had a thought that was a prerequisite to that action. Mm, I had a okay. different breakfast this morning. And you might not be aware of that thought, because that could be come from your conscious or unconscious state or mm -hmm. mind, but for every action, there's a thought behind it. Does that make sense? It does. And so the question is, if, if I want to have outstanding results, then I must have outstanding thoughts that, that precede it. Yeah, nice. Precede the right word? Yeah. Yeah, completely. Yeah, yeah. We, go before we go before it. it completely. And so we've got to be... This is where the consultation is so important. It's not just a consultation for a lot of people. I think a lot of fit pros see a consultation just for, say, one-to-one -one clients. Mm -hmm. Once if you put a consultation I did for inside all of my boot camp, I used to run spinning classes. I used to put a consultation to go into the spinning class. I knew everyone was capable of going to the boot camp. I knew everybody could have their legs go round in circles for a spin class. <laughs> yeah. Like, that wasn't what the, the, the objective of the, the, the consultation. The goal of the consultation was to find out who are you and how can I help you get to where you want to get to? Nice. And that's like building a rapport as well, isn't completely. it? And the curiosity and everything all Now, if you up. want to get to that outcome that you want, then there must be a thought process behind it. 
Mm. Okay. If your thought process is, I want to come to your spin class because I want to burn 600 calories and create a calorie deficit, then maybe there's room for more coaching to guide you and say, well, actually, it's not just about creating a calorie deficit inside the one spin session you do per week. Yeah. What do you do for the other 167 hours and 20 minutes? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. So you can use that to ask really great open questions. Completely. And keep the changes going forward. Because they, they could turn up to a spin class once a week and never get their goal. Mm. They've all got good intentions, right? <laughs> they're turning up with good intentions, but they don't know what they don't know, and they're only doing with what they have available to themselves. So it, they've got the resources, which they're just in an unresourceful state. Mm. And what I also love about this statement, in terms of understanding that you are in charge of your mind and therefore your results, is that if your client is in charge of their mind and their results, you are not in charge of their results. Yes, this is great. But, but this you is can perfect. help facilitate to help them be in charge of their mind, make certain decisions, have certain thought processes that allow for them to make so, certain behaviours and get a result. So in essence, nobody but yourself is in charge of your thoughts. Yeah. And your thoughts lead to your emotions of how you feel. And therefore, what you feel determines what you, how you behave and how you behave is your reaction or response, mm. which goes back to last week. Yeah. Completely. So... The, the burden, the ownership, the responsibility, it's the responsibility for someone to respond and their ability to respond, responsibility, <laughs> yeah. okay, is the ownership is all on the client. Yeah, it is. Not the, the fit yeah. pro. It's not your fault if they do or don't get a result. You're not in charge of their mind. You're not in charge of their results. And you can't take over their mind. But what but I can do is influence, okay, not persuade, I think and that's elicit and elicit. Change. I can put, I can influence and guide the clients who ask curious world-class questions that say, cool, based on that answer, here's a yellow brick because you chose that yellow brick and it was all about frequency. So let's talk about frequency. Next question, please. Oh, we're going to go down this avenue. Cool. I happen to have a yellow brick for that as well. Now we're getting closer. It might not be the perfect straight line formula. It might zigzag towards their goal. But that's through world-class questioning mm. of curious Helps them questions. Then change their mind and they are in Completely. charge of their mind that they change Completely. their behaviors they change. Which leads to a client-centered approach. Ooh, number number nine. nine, people have all the resources they need to succeed and achieve their desired outcomes. <laughs> so I think this is a, comes from a real place of abundance. What I love also, by the time, by the way, have you guys noticed that every time we read out a new point, Neil and I both have different perceptions based on our maps of the mm. world or based on each comment. But what I love about this one is that it's really abundant in the fact that there is no lack here. So it's not a case of I can't get that result no scarcity, because no yeah, because I don't have the time, energy, money. It's different for me. This I'm a snowflake. This is all different. I'm a unicorn that farts fairy dust. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, it turns out they actually have all the resources they need. And if you link this to the one before it, they have all the resources they need because their results are hinged on their mind, not based on the resources that they physically have. And the one before that, which was a map of their world. Oh, and it just keeps going. It, the seven can, can interchangeably work all the time, yeah. which is what I love so much about NLP. Now, this one is there are no unresourceful people. There's only <laughs> unresourceful states. Ooh, nice. Okay. okay. Yeah. So all people have the ability to create whatever they want in their lives. If another person can do it, then so can you. Mm. And this work comes down to modeling, which was part of like um, Bandler and Grindler's uh, kind of almost first approach and exploration in the, in the 70s and 80s around NLP, around modeling mm. and understanding if they say a certain thing or do a certain act in a certain way, then can I engineer it 
for me to do it as well. It shortcuts the process shortcuts, to now yes. have the same kind of outcome as that. But you person can also do it faster because now if you if you take the first person, I don't know the. I don't know. Let's take, for example, like going to space. Hmm. So it took. Oh no! Let's use. Let's use four a, minute mile. Four minute mile completely. Which was what was his name again? I can't remember uh, his name. Oh, Bannister. Yeah, um, somebody Bannister. Yeah. Oh no! We go. We're gonna get <laughs> rude for that. Roger. Roger Bannister. There you go. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, it took years and years and years, decades, to get to that four minute mile. Yeah. But then the moment. Uh, Roger Bannister, <laughs> I believe it was literally just a matter of weeks before the next person reached that because now they could model everything that he did and learn from his mistakes on what he did well and what he didn't do well and literally copy thoughts and behaviours and actions. Yes. And then after that, literally, it became like the, the time frame of which people would succeed to four minute mile after that became literally days uh, weeks, minutes, seconds, do you know what I mean? It's what you guys do with your clients, isn't it? You might have achieved weight loss yourself or you've achieved weight loss with a oh, client. Great. Yeah, cool. Now, every time a new weight loss client comes to you, you can shortcut their success based on modelling of how you've got results in the past. Of yourself, but also... Or of and, and of others. Or of others, completely. yeah, exactly. You might not have actually lost any weight yourself. If That's we fine, take the but word, you can do it in others. If we take the word state as well, what does that mean for you? State, like the what you're in at the moment, like your 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 emotion, your thoughts, your impact right now. Right, yeah, completely. So I, for me, the word state would be like, so you've got... Uh, gas, liquid, oh, like, and solid. Yeah, okay, that would yeah. be the state. Yeah. So they're very different, but mm. yet they could they could formulate and be the same thing. Mm. Does that make of sense? Of the same ingredients. Of the <laughs> same ingredients. And so my state can change. Mm -hmm. So if we have we have a state within our thoughts, we have a state within our own emotions, and that leads to various states of how we act and play that out. Nice. So if I have a if I have a sad thought, okay, that could lead to a, an angry emotion which leads to a behaviour or an action that is an unhelpful or unresourceful state. Nice. Okay, so notice that anybody that's after something that is going towards a goal is going to have a particular state inside their thoughts, a particular state inside their emotions and how they sense and interpret the world and therefore a particular state in terms of how they act that out. Ooh. Boom. <laughs> I have nothing to add. <laughs> and let's move on to number 10. We've got four more. So number 10. We're on number 10, aren't we? Yes. All procedures should increase wholeness. Wow. And I know that you have something about this that you're definitely going to share because it's talking about taking something that is individual parts and integrating them all together into one whole thing, one whole being. Yeah, so it's about, I suppose, label, finding a label, isn't it? And, you know, maybe the moment we say about labelling or categorising could give... They create separateness, don't they? They, could, they create separateness, so is it good or bad? You know, there's lots... Healthy, unhealthy. Uh, unhealthy. And what I, I've experienced this firsthand, so let's talk a little bit about that story. So mm. for quite a while, I had this... Um, uh, what was, like association association that money was bad mm. and i think i think a lot of fit pros experience this 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 notion of like asking somebody for money um having more money come towards your world it's a it's a, an odd feeling mm. and so there was a sticking point in terms of a growth of parallel and the limiting it was my limiting belief around money yeah and so when we I did a parts integration um, with with a friend of mine who is an incredible uh, NLP practitioner and and hypnotist, and 
ultimately dug deep into the curious nature of my fragmented memories yeah. <laughs> of money. Mm, okay. All these fragmented labelled memories. And then take on the other side the where I want to head to. So one hand is kind of where I've my my map of the world, my beliefs, where I am right now yeah. with money, and then where I want to get to in the other hand. Mm -hmm. Now, if I keep labelling where I want to get to and what I believe to be true, I will find one label that shares the both, I suppose, the good and the bad. Mm. And right. now, when I part integrate, I now have a label that represents my fragmented memories of beliefs and values of my map right now yeah. and now my uh, and how i'm navigating the world of money and limiting beliefs versus where i want to go towards down this yellow brick road down to the coliseum and now i find that there's a label that is shared between the two parts and they integrate together and i can genuinely say from that day from what was it 2016 november the um, i think it was like november the the 21st or 22nd yeah. that's how but how, uh, clear, how it clear it is um the, the money limiting belief is gone like yeah. not just gone i know it's there i'm not saying i don't have that, that limiting belief i i can't not access that state again because i probably could mm. but i now know that there's a label that is shared there and the growth of parallel is something like 360 percent yeah <laughs> what i like about this section purely is, based on my limiting belief yeah yeah is that labels can be really useful for seeing a small thing in the same way a microscope is helpful to see something that is small so some small detail but with a microscope you can't see the whole land perfect and i really oh, like that that's, like that's exactly that's it. why you chunk up so that you can use the right tools to look at all of it and because wherever possible in your clients you're promoting that looking at everything 10, not just one view. tiny little thing you look big that's yeah. what the 10,000 foot view which is what yours was i remember parts. the questions that came through and if you were to uh, like if you were to go above that what would you see mm. if you were to um add a word to that what would be above that mm. how do, do you know what i mean yeah. so you always go higher so when somebody has a limiting belief we focus on the minuter the the the, the microscope detail yeah Rather than, and you don't want to actually focus on the detail when you can zoom out and focus on the wholeness. And it's that's like an OS map and having like a six figure yeah. OS grid reference of like 97 something by 49 something. You're like, actually, I don't need to look at that one square meter on the map. I want to recognize that I have an entire map available yeah. to me. Cool. Nice. Number 11 is there is only feedback. I love this. There is no failure, there's only feedback. Now, I think sometimes. No, we should, you should just rewind and play this on repeat. There is no failure, there is only feedback. No failure, only feedback. <laughs> yeah, no failure, only feedback. Over and over and over. So there is no later, uh, there's no need to label our results as failures. Mm. Now, just what we just said. <laughs> I think this comes down to like it's it's a very cliche thing to say. It's a very kind of like Instagram meme approach, isn't yeah. it? And I think maybe it's become so mainstream. It's like oh, you know, it's first attempt in learning. But actually, when you break this down, we're actually saying that it's okay to fail. Mm. 
Yeah, even if it was so cliche, why do so many people get so caught up on not failing and want perfection? And why is it labelled as good or bad? Like, why is failure always seen as a bad thing? Yeah. And not as a good thing My coach in says to me, Neil, go and fail faster. If you want to get towards your goal, you need to go and fail mm. faster. Because the more you fail, the more you learn, the more you learn, the more you, the quicker you're going to get there. So essentially, something happens, it might not go to plan, but it is just feedback of what has happened and how to do it differently next it's time. It's really, it's real. Like, I don't know, is it, is it a p paradoxical? Is it ironic because so many people will turn around and say like failure oh it's it's just the first attempt in learning it's like all failures are good you can learn from a mistakes it's like it's a really nice cheesy thing to say but the reality is why are we all chasing perfectionism it's like with exams isn't it so many people say i don't want to fail i don't want to fail my exam and yet all that is is a result it's just a number on a bit of paper at the end of it that says this is the score you got and here's the feedback on how to do it differently well, next time. Now you're getting it is. now you're getting objective data yeah. that creates our reality. Yeah. Yet if we go back to some of the earlier presuppositions, we said that actually reality is our subjective view <laughs> on an objective world. <laughs> yeah. And that's for that's for distortion here, isn't it? Because yeah. actually we live life, our reality as we know it is our subjective um, understanding of the world yes. yet when you get a test score back such as your level 2 anatomy or level 3 anatomy it's now giving you an objective viewpoint of your reality evaluated on which, fact evaluated on fact which now leads to a thought which now leads to an emotion mm. which now leads to a behaviour so if that test goes your way now leads to like, oh wow, it's amazing. Like I, I, like, I didn't think I was gonna pass. I feel great. Like this is just the start of my PT career or Pilates yoga career. Like, oh, I'm on top of the world. Like it's amazing, which leads to a set of uh, behaviors that lead you to cascade on. Yeah, and they stack but that, up. that was from a objective reality of your world. Yeah, perfect. But even then, it's still a subjective, objective, object, a subjective reality. If that <laughs> makes sense. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. Cool. And number, number 12. 12 is the meaning of communication is the response you get. Yes, I like this. This reminds me of a boomerang because it's almost like the intent you put out with that boomerang comes right back to you with the, the response you get. And likewise, I'd imagine if you were throwing a boomerang as a kid. <laughs> I lost a lot of them. You lost a lot. Would be, did, you know, did the boomerang come back? Did you have the intention for the boomerang to come back to you? But in throwing the boomerang, it's all about your intent matters just as much as the response. Yes. So like with social media, for example, your intention is worth just as much, if not more, than the fact of whether you get a reaction from somebody with likes and, and well, yeah. comments. Well, you wouldn't want to measure it on someone liking, commenting or sharing because your intention wasn't to get a like, comment or share. Mm. Your intention was to put valuable information out into the world. And to communicate and to communicate Fantastic. so the intention is just as important my question would be is like you know the intention of every uh every every bit of communication you have the intention to plan your consultations yeah the intention to um guide a client down that yellow brick road the intention to have curiosity yeah the intention to find out more about the client the intention to build rapport mm. the intention for you to be goal orientated the intention for you to be flexible on your behavior and the more intent that you have when you approach a communication like that, if they come back with the same, then you, by you being open-minded and curious, they are now being open-minded and curious about their, Perfect. their beliefs and how they move forward. So it's led by intention. Yeah.
which uh -huh. remember we said earlier that for every behavior what precedes that or what goes before that is a four so what you could say is what goes before the four is the or, or level pegging is the intention yeah nice so yeah. what, do I, in, what do I intend to happen leads to a four and that four leads to a particular set of habits or behaviours and it plays out from there. Perfect. Lovely. Number 13. Number 13 is a bit of a mouthful. The is the law, law of, of requisite, requisite variety. There we go. So what we're talking about here is about being incredibly flexible. So we're talking about that not, final... Not literally like PNS. <laughs> uh, we're talking about that final bit of the... Uh, the pillars that we had, whereby you had flexible behaviour, the, that flexible behaviour, the more flexible you can be in your behaviours, then the more likely it is that you can take greater opportunities. You've in got your this life. really good analogy of the castle, actually. I think this works oh, nicely yeah, it here. Does. So um, I'll let you talk about it because it's your, it's like your analogy. <laughs> My analogy. Yeah. Um, if you think that uh, when you're first born, you're born into a castle and you've got access to every single room in that castle. That's the princess or prince of that castle you've got access to every single room could be born a king or a queen true there we go but you but you could have infinite number of rooms as well yes. couldn't you? loads of rooms and you can go in and out of every single room all the time now as we get older we start or, or we go through life and we create experiences we start locking some of the rooms in the castle so that we start becoming more and more confined to say one or two rooms and down to less rooms so what we're now, saying each room is yeah well, the, the entire castle is the map yes and then what you're doing is you're actually closing off boundaries and saying mm. i can't go into that room i can't access that part of the map because i don't believe i don't believe it to be true you set rules you set you rules you set beliefs you set values that say i can't open that that room so an example of that would be like when you when you're born you don't uh, know the difference between is there uh, uh, ghosts or no ghosts? Yeah, okay? yeah, exactly. And then you're you to talk to strangers or to people you know it, or anything, whatever it might be. But let's just go on like the ghosts would be yeah. like cool. So there's a room that says ghosts. You could walk in there and you could see ghosts. Hmm. But then through all of your experiences with significant people around you, they say don't be silly. There's no such thing as ghosts. Mm. And now you close that door off, and now you don't see ghosts. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, you literally close it. It reminds me also is when I um I started to like cut out lots of foods that I was really intolerant to. And I was really strict about it. I was like, I'm not having wheat, I'm not having dairy, and I literally cut off all these different things. And I was also like, and I can't have that, and I can't have these foods before Locking I run. Up all these doors. And I literally restricted all my options. So I had really inflexible behaviour, and it meant that I couldn't go out and eat with people, that I couldn't kind of go out and um, have the social side of it, and it impacted so that I was basically living in one little room of my food castle. And the rules become so <laughs> restricting yeah. that there's no flexible behaviours that allow for any other opportunity. Any other opportunity, <laughs> yeah. completely. And it wasn't fun. So presupposition number 13 is this law of requisite variety that basically is saying if you have boundaries, you're restricting yourself and being open and flexible simply creates more choices in life. Nice. Okay. Yeah, there are nice. certain places where you go, actually, this person legitimately has a food intolerance, or this li person oh, legitimately yeah. can't eat this. Definitely. Now, but I, is there still ways to be flexible in that behaviour? Perfect. Yes. So, Which links lovely to the final one. Final presupposition number 14 is all procedures should be designed to increase choice. There you go. You want to increase as much as possible, like what we said about chunking up to the whole and seeing it as this holistic thing wherever possible. You also want to make 
make sure that you're influencing your client not to narrow down their choices to one room or two rooms, yeah. but actually that they're increasing. Is there any way they can open up more doors or that they can build an extension on their castle? Yeah, completely. How can they open up more choices? So you're, you're, you're born into a castle with infinite number of rooms. And as you grow up through your um life experiences and then as you're older you then re recall and reminisce your fragmented memories of what you appeared to believe or what you thought you want to believe and all these doors are all jumbled up and different rooms and all locked up but it doesn't say going forwards going towards my goal I can't go and explore these rooms and say well actually I've not been in this room for a while could I go in this room because just, oh my so, notes, can I just have a look around the more choices you have the freer you are and more influence you have like because that. if you're after going after your goal, just being more open towards life, saying, well, actually, I believe that to be true, but could I find reasons for me to challenge that? Mm. Not to say it's not true, but could I just challenge the boundary? Can I just put, you know, not saying to the, to the client, right, you're now going to believe this and you're going to open up the door and jump in two feet and dance around the room. <laughs> you might just say, well, how about we just put the key in the keyhole and twist it to start off with? What does Don't that... even need to open the door. Don't even need to open the door. How does that feel? What, what if I what just thoughts... dust off the door so I know it's there? What for... Yeah, completely. Yeah. What thoughts, feelings and emotions conjure up now? Okay, wow. Now you're going to be curious. Mm. You're curious. You've dusted off the door. Oh, wow. The door's actually quite a nice door. Okay, cool. Let's... If I think about my outcome and my goal and I'm outcome oriented. will it benefit me to just open this door and have a look? Cool, could I just peek through the keyhole and have a look? Oh wow, I didn't didn't imagine that to, to be there. Maybe I could be aware of my senses when I walk Whoa. into the room and just kind of have a think about how that feels and Completely. what impact do I have? Maybe you, maybe you could go in first and tell me what it's like. Do you know what I mean? There's lots of, it's just about being, I suppose, playful and fun with it as well. Yeah, I like that. So there's 14 presuppositions and that was our approach, our interpretation, uh, I suppose it's not live, it's recorded, but yeah. off the cuff, if that off makes sense. Yeah, so exactly. whilst we had notes, it was still somewhat, it's still our interpretation of it. What I'd really like to know is what have you taken from today's uh, approach or introduction to NLP of understanding that that there's a, there's a map that there, our perception, our beliefs, our values of how we interpret this map are of our own. And mm. that's okay. Yeah. But how have you interpreted today? What, I would love what, to what was that. your map of today's session? Yeah. Drop a comment inside the Inner Circle for Facebook group. If you're new to that or you're not inside our Facebook Inner Circle, there'll be a link somewhere around this video, depending on, or audio clip, MP3, yada, yada, yada. Podcast. podcast. There we go. <laughs> um, to come and join the group. And if you haven't already left us an iTunes review, so a five-star review on iTunes, and you're listening on that's iTunes, important actually, click the link. That's for stuff that drives this podcast. As yeah. you know, this is a free podcast. We're not sponsored by anything, as many other podcasts are. It relies solely on your kind of organic um, sharing. Yeah. So that could be a five-star review. That could be on your social media socials, on your stories. Just tagging us in creates more reach yeah perfect. so if you've enjoyed today and you're enjoying this uh season eight behavior change series definitely uh, help us push it now this is episode eight of eight next week we will be back for episode nine of eight and Why potentially not? the following week for episode 10 of eight which will be a <laughs> we're strange keeping our one. options open we're keeping our options open yeah we have a we're opening up newcastle rooms yeah exactly i like that we will see you next week see you later bye Hi, I'm Neil Bergman. And I'm Hayley Bergman. Over the last 10 years, we've helped thousands of fitness professionals to get qualified, learn with simplicity, and coach clients with confidence. 
We're the first to say that learning and being a fit pro doesn't have to be hard work and that with the right structure, support and resources, you can become a confident and knowledgeable fitness professional that is dedicated to more. So how do you learn, qualify and kickstart as a fit pro? This is the Fit Pro Sessions podcast with Parallel Coaching.